someone else has already said it best. This is the best, the best of it. The best ones aren't as good as you probably think they are. What is best in life? I did the best I could. Doing my best. 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 It's it's like I'm in the fourth dimension, and somebody's asking me to describe it verbally, and that's what the fourth dimension is all about: is no words, no symbols, no images, all pure, real energy and vibrations. And and if I thought about how cruel of a world this is, I would probably just commit suicide after a while if that was what I spent my energy thinking about. I would definitely not have any strength left to create music. Should I be or could I be or would I be dead if I didn't get a message going to my head? I am what I am. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to Best of the Best podcast. With myself, Connor Keys, and alongside me, as always, Mr. Ronan Mullen. What up? We are here with uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Yes. Uh, what an album. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, we're talking 1991? 1991, which, um, is, which is difficult to get your head around, considering. I didn't even know, this came the same week as Nevermind. Oh, same week. Oh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll start things off by saying, quite controversially, most people listening, <coughs> if not every person listening, will know who the Red Hot Chili Peppers are. Yeah. But Red Hot Chili Peppers are an 80s band. They're an 80s band. Yeah. And it's not something you'd associate with chilies. Um, no, this is their fifth 80s. album. Yeah. This is the fifth go. So, 84, I think, was the earliest, was the first album. Uh, um, well, they were together for, well, obviously they were screwed together. Yeah. The original incarnation of the Chili Peppers. So, um, they, yeah, they've, they've, They've been about a long time, but again, I think anybody that you would be listening to this, even I, would always class them as a nineties band. Mm. But I think it's because this is when they blew up. And this is when they. This is when they blew up. But yes, they are an eighties band. So yeah. they, <coughs> the 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 weird uh, placement of them in the eighties <laughs> is something when well, everything's surrounded by synths and, and yeah. uh, drum machines and 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 uh, weird pop. They were pretty unique. Um. Some would say that the advent of rap rock, etc., mm-hmm. is due to the Chili Peppers, but they would prefer that they were just thought of as a funk punk band. Yeah, funk plays a big part in their uh, ethos, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, funk is their main, um, sort of their, their their influence on all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, it is a unique, we talked about this before about Raging Against Machine and in and, and the sense that it's unique. And this is sort of the same it is, sort of vibe in the sense, except that Andy Kiedis has done more melodic singing, if you want to call it that, he than, did, than Zach De La Rocca. You're talking about Blood Sugar Sex Magic, mm-hmm. is when he was, but he wasn't doing melodic no, singing doing, on no, the no, first no, three no, albums. No. The fourth, Mother's Milk, he did start to open up. Uh-huh. On this one, it's there's full, there's on, full yeah. like, uh, there's daily ballads, if you want to call it that yeah. way. But uh, the first three albums, he was rapping. This sort of scatty. Yeah, and it uh, was... And that was where very raw, like it was very raw. Yeah. It, it was. I I like the first three albums because they're just strange. Mm-hmm. They are very strange. Some of them are. But the the again, we're going back to like the L.A. influence and the different cultures in Los mm-hmm. Angeles and mm-hmm. the different sounds and the different flavors and it's all yeah. it all mixes together. And that you you would have to be a a band like 
Rage Against the Machine, who can mix so many things, or the Red Hot Chili Peppers, or like bands like Fishbone, who are using ska and stuff a lot in their music. Yeah. And that's where Los Angeles sort of, especially at that time, was the mecca of that sort of sound. And you could be unique and you weren't laughed at. No, and and they that's why we started off with that clip of, uh, well, we'll do that now. We'll name the, the, the band members. So lead vocals. Anthony Kiedis. Uh, bass. Michael Balzari. Flea. A.K.A. Flea. Uh, guitar. John Frusciante. And drums. Chad Chadrick Smith. Chadrick Smith. Uh, that was John Frusciante you heard at the start of the podcast. Um, going into very deep, deep, crazy mental shit. Well, he's 20 years old. Yeah, so that's the thought process of him at 20. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this is him maybe, well, he must be five or six years into it at that stage when he was in. No, so, he's only two years in. At that stage? And he only joined the band. Oh, he only joined, yes, right, he idiot. Uh, so he, based a short, brief history, Chili Pepper met each other at school, at like Fairfax High or something mm-hmm. in Hollywood, and Anthony Kiedis was a blow-in from Michigan. Anthony Kiedis' father was like the most well-known drug dealer in Los Angeles on the Sunset Strip. Oh, right, I didn't know that. Um, his first name's Blackie. He used to call him the Lord of the Sunset Strip because he was the guy everybody went to. Um, yeah. Anthony Kiedis revealed in his autobiography that his father, when he was 11 or 12, his father said he had to become a man now. He had to first start taking drugs and he lost his virginity. His father passed him over to a prostitute friend of his who was part-time girlfriend of his father's. She was 18. And he was 11. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he thought that this would be a good idea for a young man growing up in Hollywood. He was shipped from his mother to his father when they divorced. Tell me this now, just before we go any further. Not a good idea. At any point in your life did your dad ever come to you and say, especially when you were 11 or 12, uh-huh. me, I want you. Oh, fuck. I have a friend here I want you to talk to. No. No, I didn't think so. Well, so, that's that's where so, uh, that's w- what that's what happens in the, the, the what <laughs> happens in Hollywood in Hollywood. But what happened then is going to school. He met Flea. He met Halel Slovak, who was the original guitar player, and Jack Irons, who was the original drummer. Mm-hmm. Jack Irons, by the way, is the guy who he played with Pearl Jam as well. He was the guy who told Eddie Vedder to send his demo of him singing to what was Mother Love Bone. They had broke up because their lead singer died. Mm-hmm. and they were looking to start a new band with a new singer and he's the one that recorded Eddie Vedder's voice right. and sent it on sent a tape on. to what became Pearl Jam mm. he then played with Pearl Jam for a long time uh, drugs took a major part in their life mm-hmm. obviously they were growing in the Hollywood you'd scene. wonder at that when you were first given them at 11 that's where the sort of mm. um, the, the per mistakes were made but mm. <clears throat> he was Anthony Kiedis was a full blown heroin addict Mm-hmm. In the early eighties, and as was Hillel Slovak, so was Flea for a while, until he got into punk rock and realized the whole straight edge thing. Mm-hmm. I don't need to do this. I don't need to take drink or drugs to influence. Uh, so, Anthony Kiedis, uh, numerous in and out of rehab, right the whole way through the eighties, leading up to this album, and Hillel Slovak himself um, and Flea, all best friends. Briefly, Hillel Slovak and Jack Irons left the band, but they came back. Um, and unfortunately, Hal Slovak died of a heroin overdose. So that left a massive hole mm-hmm. in this band. They thought they mightn't be able to go on. Because of it, Jack Irons, the original drummer, left. He couldn't handle it without it. And there was too much drug stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Notoriously, Rick Rubin, who produced Blood Sugar Sex Magic, um, was actually supposed to produce their third album, The Uplift Mofo Party Plan. 
Now this is early Def Jam. He's just starting to run the MC yeah, and Beastie Boys, going, yeah. and he turns up <laughs> to a rehearsal studio, and they're out of their fucking mind, heroin. And he says there was just a bad vibe, mm-hmm. and it wasn't the right time. Now that was a bit fortuitous, but yeah, he leaves. Last Lovac passes away. Jack Irons leaves. So the Chet Peppers are left with just two guys. Uh, the drummer for remember the Dead Kennedys mm-hmm. punk band. Drummer for Dead Kennedys, D.H. Pellegro. He joins them briefly. Right. Um, and they find out that this kid, this 17-year-old kid, idolized Hillel Sovac. Right. And loves the Red Hot Chili Peppers. This kid turns out to be John Frusciante. Okay. So what they didn't know was John Frusciante is a genius. <laughs> and he literally could be Eddie Van Halen, Steve Vai level of guitar virtuoso. Yeah. But he had too much funk in him. Mm-hmm. And he just ends up being like the light of their life because there's this young guy who just seems to have the spirit and soul, and their words, not mine, mm-hmm. <laughs> of Halel Slovak. And they're like, this has just shifted our perspective. So the next album is actually pretty successful because of, in part, John Frusciante, yes, mm-hmm. but also the addition of Chad Smith, the drummer. Yes. Who was described to them before their first audition as being a guy who eats drums. <laughs> right. So he turns up, they're doing this audition, and then they're like, it's the first time they've ever auditioned. They usually would just pick a guy they've played with before. So they pull this guy in, Chad Smith, and he's this biker metal-looking guy with a bandana and long hair and yes. tattoos uh-huh. and the shirt off. And they're all like, <laughs> this isn't going to work. And Flea says instantly there was an, a spark that he'd never experienced before. Between, especially as a rhythm section, mm-hmm. him on the bass and Chad Smith on the drums. Mm-hmm. And that leads into Mother's Milk, partially successful, successful enough for there to be a bidding war for them. Right, okay. Uh, there was a notorious story where they were on EMI and EMI weren't giving them much love at all. Mm-hmm. So they were shipping themselves out and Sony were in, Sony Epic. They were looking for them. They were putting in big money, mm-hmm. pretty much signed and sealed. And the president of Warner Brothers, I think he was the president, rang Anthony Kiedis and said, listen, I hear you're signing with Sony. I just want to say well done and I wish you all the best for the future. And Anthony Kiedis like, wow. The, the president of a rival company has rang up to, to thank us and mm-hmm. say, well done, and give us all the best. And he went, fuck that, we'll sign for Warner Brothers. And they <laughs> sign for Warner Brothers. <laughs> so Warner Brothers right. then give them a lot of money mm-hmm. to go do their next album, which just happens to be this album. Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic. So well, that leads us on. You've mentioned them already there, but we should sort of take a wee pause um, to mention the one and only Rick Rubin. This is where the story pretty much starts, because... None of their albums sound like this album. No. Not many albums currently sound like Sounding this album. No. Yeah. Um, so anybody listening doesn't know Rick Rubin, um, very famous uh, music producer, uh, as Rona mentioned, they started with around about the Run DMC, Beastie Boys type He thing. started Def Jam with Russell Simmons. And... They signed LL Cool J. They signed Beastie Boys. They signed Run DMC. Yeah, he did LL Cool J's first album as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got... This producer who, at this stage, because now, if we talk about Rick Rubin now, it's proper legendary status. Yes. I mean, he's done everybody. Everything, and continues to. And continues to, but right, you know, everybody, and winning yeah. Grammys all Well, this, so. even up, up until that point, uh, he has, he's a, a producer who's notorious for being very, um, he spreads his wings. Mm-hmm. So one week he'll be recording Tom Petty, then Johnny Cash, then Slayer, then yeah. Danzig, then Chris Cornell. 
then and it just yeah he was he, he's produced all the Slayer albums has he he's done the most, first the three. first three you know he, he did them and then well, he, he did their their greatest the biggest album Rain yeah. and Blood like so and then they, he did uh, like you mentioned here, all the Johnny Cash recordings of, all uh, the Johnny Cash acoustic re-reco- sort of, I, uh, the, the American recordings yeah. I think yeah uh, he so yeah and right up to Adele uh, yeah. and Ed Sheeran he's, he's done yeah, right he's up done and, them he's done them all but at this stage I mean it was quite he was quite uh, he was well known but within the music industry very well known now he's obviously global mm-hmm. but at that time he wasn't that uh, well known and I think this was the album that sort of took him into if you want to call it the mainstream because of the sort of hits that came off it yeah um, it was done in a very unique way in that the Chili Peppers have themselves stated that they didn't have a pleasant experience ever recording an album. Uh-huh. Even the album before, which I said was moderately successful, the producer, who they'd worked with before, wanted uh, the new member of the band, John Frusciante, the guitar player, to play a more metal sort of riff uh, during certain songs. Uh-huh. So the sound he was getting out of the guitar wasn't the sound he liked. Right, yeah. Um, so that sort of put them down a bit. Um, they liked the album. It was successful, so you don't really care because you're making money. But at the end of the day, if you're a musician and you're an artist and you're into this type of thing, yeah. you want to listen back to your album and be proud of it. So they wanted to be in a studio and feel comfortable, first, have the producer they wanted, second, mm-hmm. and take their time. Yeah. And that's what they did with this album. Yeah. So they what they did was they hired a house. They hired so a very famous house. A very famous house. Um, uh, Anthony Kiedis says in the documentary, it's the, the, the house where the Beatles first took LSD. house where the Beatles first took LSD. Uh, Jimi Hendrix owned it partially. Harry Houdini owned it originally. Right, so Houdini was the first one. I knew it's, it in, a lot it's of, in the film yeah. Sunset Boulevard. It's yeah, in it's loads a, it's a very, of very, very famous uh, house. So they took this house. Um, they rented so the house? Basically, they, they, they described it as, as you say, it was a chance to not be confined to the studio. Mm-hmm. You could do your recording, but also live there. So you sort of get the best of both worlds. Well, it was just, it wasn't a set up studio. It, it's just a big old wooden house. Yeah. Like it's got proper, obviously they had a soundproof certain areas of the mm-hmm. house, but famously, Flea and John Frusciante recorded together. They mm-hmm. recorded in a room together which was boxed off by the mixing desk and the edit and suite. But Anthony Kiedis recorded his vocals in his bedroom. Yeah, by the which window. Which is a big, huge bedroom, but it yeah. was by the window. By so the window. I don't know what the acoustics... But again, this is Rick Rubin's genius. I mean, he well, finds some pitch somewhere <coughs> that's going to... I don't know if it was the mics. They look very similar to our mics, to be fair. Every mic I was just going to say that. Are they are they using the same mics we have? Now, mm. obviously, it was 20, nearly 30 years ago. But, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, they're exact same mics, same setup, same uh, pretty much. and everything, so... Um, that's what he's singing. We're not going to record an album now, like, but no, not well. yet. No, later on. Um, once I get my my rapping down, get her down, get her down. Um, so hip. <laughs> once I get my rapping down. <laughs> yeah. Hi. So uh, no, in this particular house as well. Uh, apparently, it's haunted as fuck. Well, I was reading loads of stories. Like the house is really badly haunted. Like there's rooms in the house where as it's opposed just to being goodly haunted. Goodly? Yeah. Is there a... But there's no goodly haunted? Well, there should be. There fucking isn't. <laughs> Have you ever seen something? Connor, I don't want to get into this because I get fucking... What I'm trying to say to you is, is there anything else but a bad haunting? Well, isn't there... Like in the Ghostbusters where Dan Ackery gets an old blowy from a, a ghostie? Uh, that's goodly haunting. Uh, I can take that Goodwill haunting. haunting. Goodly haunting. <laughs> And, uh, well, well, I mean, the, the house then gives a sort of, uh, 
it's a character I, in the story. It yeah, really is. it it's gives a bit of an acoustic to the album too. As mm-hmm. a, so you, you know, you can he, when you hear the album, you know why they picked that. that yeah. House. Um. Well, we'll play a couple of tr- uh, we'll play a track from it. Uh, not the full track, but we'll play. Um, we were talking about favorite tracks on it. Um. Well, every uh, it's, it's a, seventeen it's, songs. Long. Yeah, it's a long album. It's, it's a got a couple big, of big Chili Peppers. Uh, classics if you want to call them that but that's that, i sort of find that happens with a lot of bands they they their their big hits mm-hmm. become their classics but they're not the classics in that sense uh, you know they're, it's they're, the they're well known but it's not normally and i know where you're coming from normally it's not the song i look forward to listening on the album yeah but on this album i do i know it's a weird that's the because only they're album very very good yeah it's the only album where i would like not skip past the singles no i mean i'm like mm, i've heard that so many times yeah i know what you mean um and this one is not but we're not going to play a single right away um, no no we'll start off with well uh, with the way we've been building it up everything was pretty punky funky and high velocity and rapping and all this and then all of a sudden it just goes uh it changes the way like i mean like about thir- many songs in is breaking the girl it's like four songs in or something and then no it's three songs in three songs in. you hear this and then And that's him on a 12 string. Yeah. So look, even listen to the bass track, like, it's amazing. So it's not. And, and it's not what, what we should say, it's probably more likened to what people know the Chili Peppers for. No. Yeah. Oh. 100%. Absolutely, but you have to think of where they evolved out of of the first three, four, or first three albums, four albums, right? Like when you hear the first four and then you get to that, you're like, yeah. oh, there's mm-hmm. a wee ballad, sir. Um, I remember hearing that. But done very well, too. Not just oh, it's, that. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very. And technically very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Instrument wise, like the guitar and bass is unbelievable. The drums in this particular are not what you thought was going to happen. Because no. he comes in with a roll and continues the roll the whole time. Yeah. And it fades in. It doesn't just start. So it fades in and then out again. Should we try and maybe play it to see the people understand what we're talking about? Oh, man, didn't go. She was a girl, so There you go. Roll just yeah. it just keeps going over and over. There we go. So as I say, that's if you were to play that to somebody now, they'll go, "Oh, that's a Chili Pepper song." Yeah, it's they a, might not know the song. That's a great know, Chili Pepper song. But because they've bec- they've become so iconic now and become so, their sound has become renowned. Mm-hmm. Renowned sound. Ooh. Uh, they that it's it's instantly recognizable. But again, at this time, it was something new to them. Yeah, you know, it, it, wasn't it, it was obviously always in them. Mm-hmm. They, they had the capability of doing it, but the mixture of having well, it's kind of one of the funkiest rock drummers ever, and just this young Kedis uh, coming out of a shell, but, but singing but of as course, well, yeah. And and Flea was capable of doing absolutely everything. And if you notice in this album, Flea doesn't go overboard in any song. Yeah, it's every every album leading up to this. There's a slap bass part on like 400 yeah. mile an hour, and it's it blows your mind, but. 
if you're listening to it from an outsider's perspective and you're listening to this an album where you don't know the musicians and you don't yeah. know the history, you'd be going, there's a bit much in it. Mm. And that was, that was their sort of crux. Yeah, and uh, uh, there's a documentary, uh, Funky uh, Monks. Monks, if you get a chance to look at it. But you see Rick Rubin, uh, and what they're doing is they're sitting recording Give It Away. Mm-hmm. And he says to Flea, Flea's doing a bit, and the words he uses, I want you to be less noty. Yeah. No need to use as many notes. Mm-hmm. Just give me a wee line. Change it each time if you want, but just give me a simple line. And that's what I ended up on. Yeah, give it away. You can hear it very clear. It's a very simple, just no and big massive frills that he no. was used to doing. But and you could see in the documentary when he's doing it because there's him and Fashanti sitting across each other and mm-hmm. Ruben's in the middle of them, and he's struggling not to play the extra no, notes. I, you know, you it's, 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 it's to, to do yeah. yeah, and it's hard for him to do less because mm-hmm. he is so you know used to. It. But he said himself it was kind of like this punk energy he put to the bass, where. It was kind of showing off in the first couple of albums of showing off. I can do it the fastest, I can do it the hardest at the same time, and you know. And then Ruben comes along, and goes, "You don't need to do. No, you're very good. You're good, and you don't need to do that. And there's a simpler way of doing it. Will mm-hmm. make you still sound good. Uh, and that's what this album then sort of call it the 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 final evolution of Flea. I mean, it's where he found his sort of comfort on the bass. It, re- it, re- it, it genuinely is. And let, let's go back to Flea for just a minute. He he originally was a jazz trumpet player. That's what he learned how to play. Yeah, because in the, in the documentary he's playing the trumpet. I was like, I don't know how he played trumpet. Yeah, well, here's another story. Before I knew about the Chili Peppers, I was into Jane's Addiction. Mm-hmm. And they were another LA weirdo band mm-hmm. who are amazing and one of my favorite bands still. Mm-hmm. And on the album, Nothing Shocking, there's a trumpet solo in the middle of one of the songs. In the middle of it. And it's Flea. Get the fuck. And he's playing it and I'm like, 1988? So the Chili Peppers were just on their ascendancy. They mm-hmm. weren't ever near as big as... But that's how I first heard Flea. Right, was was the playing trumpet. the trumpet on oh, a James yeah. Addiction song. So then I heard he played on Fishbone albums and he played on other like scalms, uh, jazz trumpet. But when he was young, uh, clearly he was a musician. It was very clear that he was very good mm. at what he could do. But Halas Slovak said to him, "We need a bass player, and you're the only one left. <laughs> Everybody else has got something, mm-hmm. so we need a bass player." So he just started learning the bass, and apparently it was just. Instant. Yeah, it was just that good. Well, if you're playing jazz, jazz trumpet, I it's mean, not, it's going to be nothing to you. Like, to I mean, it's, it's yes. Paul Nem notes out of a it's trumpet string, like yeah, that is. As I'm saying, a string, but you'll find the notes. <laughs> Try to find it in the fucking <laughs> trumpet. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't know that. I didn't know he's a jazz trumpet. And, jazz and, trumpet and, and uh, all I can see now is Mister uh, Zabowski. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, he's an actor. <laughs> he's too. an actor too. Yeah. Um, but the energy then that came from that comes from the, all four of them together because you've got, as you say, the Chad Smith. Then, I mean, give us yeah. a breakdown on that. You, you, from my, personally, me, yeah, Chad Smith is the reason I play drums. Okay, like Continue. genuinely, that's the the starting point because, like I said, listening to listening to music my whole life, I could always sort of figure out what what he was doing when he was playing drums, but I never went. That's what I want to do forever. Uh-huh. Um, we went to we went to see the Chili Peppers on the One Hot Minute tour in Dublin. Uh-huh. This what is year 95, was that? Okay, ninety six. So I was like fifteen, uh-huh. and I'm going down in a bus with all these guys who were older than me. So Blood Sugar Sex Magic was their life. Mm. Whereas I hadn't really been exposed to it that much, bar the singles. Yeah. So I was I was really in. Of course, again we we'll go back to Jane's Addiction. 
the guitar player who took over from John Fashanti, we'll explain that in a bit, is Dave Navarro. Yes. Who was James Addiction's guitar player. Oh, uh, yes, of course. Yeah, so yeah. I was going, I'm going to get to see Dave Navarro play. <laughs> I'm going to get to see Dave Navarro play. And then I'm just staring at Chad Smith the whole fucking gig. And I'm like, what the fuck? I knew mm-hmm. he was good, mm-hmm. but I didn't know he was that good. So then I go back and become like the biggest Chili Peppers fan you've ever seen in your life. And everything I got... Of course, we couldn't watch YouTube clips then. No. So you had to buy the home videos. So the oh, home course, videos yeah. were all, there was a mighty live uh, a concert that was filmed mm-hmm. before Blood Sugar. So the success of Mother's Milk. Yeah. And it's like an hour and a half and there's a drum solo in the middle of it. <sighs> and it wasn't an impossible drum solo. Right. It was just funky. Right. Okay. And he was wrecking boys like. <laughs> and there's a point where Flea's playing along with him. Like fast as lightning, and John Fashanti's playing along one, but John Fashanti's staring at the roof, and Flea's staring right at Chad Smith, and I was like, "This is the best fucking thing I've ever seen in my life." <laughs> and to this day, I still watch it. Yeah, it's just one of them moments in my life where I went, "That's when I." That's need. what you want to do. But the best part about him is he freely admits he has a fucking clue what he's doing. He just loves doing it. <laughs> he's one of them guys. So he he spoke to me exclusively, a person who doesn't want to learn it. I don't want to practice it. I just want to wing it. Let's see how it sounds when we wing it. If it's shit, okay, we'll practice it. But that was my, but he is a hard-hitting, fast drummer, but he's big like me. He's like six foot. Yeah. And he was always the guy that stood out. Yeah, but I mean, and and, and this is, you can't take it lightly. I mean, yes, you could say, I want to wing it, but there has to be a level of just natural ability. Well, that, that there's something the, you know what I mean. I, 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 I can wing in the drums, but you fucking know it when I'm winging it. You I know what I mean? There's I a there's like there has to be uh, whether it's a sort of a natural inbuilt metronome that gives you the sort of timing and the beat. You know, there's something yeah. in a, a type of person like yourself or like sort of a Chad Smith that has that. Just yeah, I don't have to practice. It's just somehow I know what how to do it. Well, I'm not saying you don't have to practice. That's that's no, I know what you but, mean. But you know, it's not. Well, it's not like what I had to do. Would try and to fucking really, really focus on it, and then practice, 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 and then you get to the thing and it's still shite, and you're going, well, "I'm not getting any well, better." We've played. I can't thousands. Mm-hmm. I've played thousands of gigs. Mm-hmm. I haven't a clue. Um, if somebody, a, a few people have come up to me in the past and said, "I'd love to, you to teach me how to play drums." And I'd say to them every time, and I mean it sincerely, I'm sorry, but I was never taught. So I wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. And I genuinely mean that. I don't mean it as only I know how to do me. <laughs> I don't mean it that way. I don't know where to start showing to you. Showing, yeah. Because all I remember is being 11. No, we moved out to Tullaconi, 12. Mm-hmm. And my uncle left a snare drum in our garage. And I sat and played the snare drum on my own for years mm-hmm. before a band or a person who had yeah. a guitar or a person who could say, ever came near me so i learned i would use one snare and my left hand would be my snare hitting hand uh-huh. my right hand would be the kick drum and my left foot would be the hi-hat <laughs> so i learned how to play the drums on one drum right but i never thought i'd be able to see a drum kit get near a drum kit fucking be bought yeah, a drum and kit. that's a uh, we've talked to this before about youth just in general about like I don't there was know. no expectancy am I, especially in the middle of Tyrone like how am I going to do that or I'm not going to be able to do it's you know it's never going to happen um, yeah and you can see that and I mean I suppose today's generation don't really have that uh, mental barrier you know we, we could have seen something because it's available to them it's, it's available like, and also uh, if you're stuck on something now 
you can go online and there's a person showing you the breakdown of how to do it how exactly, do it. exactly yeah, minute yeah. by minute. Yeah. Whereas I was listening to fucking Stop with James Addiction and then going into a shed and going, right, <laughs> with no toms, no cymbals, <laughs> no stands. No, I, had the, I had the snare sitting on top of a wood log. That's not a lie. <laughs> And bathering it with fucking, I only had one pair of sticks. If they broke, that's <laughs> that it. That was it, your finger. Done. Oh, uh, man. Well, you know, so, but again, there was a, so that. Uh, <laughs> so the natural ability, I don't know, but maybe it is there, maybe it's not. But I know from people oh, that I've is, met yeah. who are exceptional musicians, they work like fuck at it. Yeah. They work constantly at it. Well, I, I've, I've spoken to you recently about, um, I'm currently in rehearsals for something. I'm sure we'll talk about that next week, maybe. Huh. But uh, the drummer involved, and I've said to you before, uh, using yeah. charts and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And even me with having a very, very basic knowledge of drumming, I'm looking at going, I don't know what you're doing there. I know if a song come on, which has happened before at rehearsals, a song's playing in the background, and I can drum along to it. I mm-hmm. can do it, and it's all right. Mm-hmm. But like a chart in front of me, or what? I don't, I don't know what It scares doing. the life out of yeah. me. And and he was sort of explaining all this the 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 stroke up is a snare and the stroke down is a, is a like how the fuck do you like, oh, what? what I'm already sweating at that point I can't <laughs> see charts like I don't know and, and that this person in particular is a genius with the, with drums and, and mm. percussion and, mm-hmm. and and I I still to this day watch him do that and go oh god mm. I need to leave I'm having a panic attack. <laughs> Which I do not and, and Chad Smith would have, you know, obviously he's not using charts. Um, but, I mean, it just... No, he was just naturally... He just naturally came into him. And then, were they all... Uh, junkies? Funk? <laughs> Funky junkies? <laughs> <laughs> that should have been the name of the document. Should have been the name. Funky junkies. Um, but were they... The, funk was a big... Because even Chad's funk, style funk. of drumming sort of comes out quite... I think he just developed that with... with he, he was playing in, like, fucking metal cover bands and all that. He, right, he wasn't okay. playing with it. I think it came with... Especially playing with Flea. Well, you couldn't play anything else but a funky rhythm mm. when Flea's playing. Yeah. Be it either his scattery sort of fast-paced soloing or it's a real slow... Yeah, but even then, group. it's still the, the, you, you the note only, jumps. For instance, are, are always crazy. You can like, yeah. only play that sort of way. But for Shanti, as I said, he loved the band that way anyway, and he had no problem slowing it down and playing real, yeah, or going fucking lightning fast. And so we have uh, there's there, uh, we've got uh, a song that sort of shows the yeah. sort of. What would you call it? The slow down, but not slow. I guess. Well, it's 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 antithesis of what you're saying. It's the play as little as possible. Yeah, but you're getting exactly what they're throwing down. Like, well, that's the perfect fucking uh, explanation there. So that leads us nicely on. We'll try and see if we can get. That bass, unreal. But even the stuff for shot is doing is like it, and the pedals and all this. Yeah, but it's subtle. Yeah. And then the bass goes up. Yeah. To the funkiest fucking pedal ever. Which even all that, you know, the harmonies and stuff, it's yeah. starting to see them develop really as oh, a band. Man. Like we really got in and they started taking things not saying they weren't taking it seriously beforehand, but they started to really and I don't know if that's the introduction of Ruben, but it really finesse I, what they were doing. They really wanted to I think uh sort of like cows in the field. <laughs> Ruben sort of was just 
coercing them towards the gate. <laughs> they knew how to get there anyway, like. But he was the boy that was definitely shepherding them into the right area. Give him a wee whistle. Mumbai. But uh, I mean, unfortunately, that song's eight minutes longer. We just listened to the whole fucking thing. <laughs> just play that at the end. The, so that is Sir Psycho Sexy. And, um, it gets dirty. It gets dirty, baby. Um, and even throughout the whole, if you look at that documentary, and if you listen through, it's great when you see the documentary because then you can, you're hearing things in the album you hadn't heard before. You're hearing you songs know. that weren't even put on the album? Yeah, but they're also hearing like how they recorded things and they're sitting banging fucking wheels and banging different and all and then when you guys listen to the album you're hearing it coming in and you're going, Right, okay, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Right, that's fucking that's brilliant. Like. Mm-hmm. Um but Ruben with his uh, the ear he has for things, yes. you know, and he's able to spot like I said earlier on about give it away, he's able to just realise when a song needs more, needs less. And that's the ultimately what the best producers do well. What, what they don't want to change too much about the band. They just want no. to give it to within the parameters where it's going to be. Because <coughs> Flea could go off into show off mode, uh, well, well, or go into fucking depression, not not playing at all mode. So it's trying I to get the balance loud and clear. But this is there. What most bands do is they go to rehearsals before going to the studio. They come off tour, write an album, go into rehearsals, yeah. get it nailed, mm-hmm. and then they go into the studio because you don't have time. Studios yeah. cost a fucking lot of money, and rehearsal spaces don't cost that much. So you spend all your money on rehearsing, then you go in the studio, nailed. Yeah. They did it all together. Yeah. So rehearsing, finding the song, writing the song, and recording the song was all done in this house. Yeah. So Ruben would sit behind them when they were rehearsing on a sofa and like It'd take mental like, notes yeah. and then go, what about that bit in that other song? And just cut that bit out together from this song. He'd be like, what? Mm-hmm. So he was helping them develop the song. And that's what a producer is supposed yeah. to do. But he was then also then inadvertently developing their sound. Yeah. You know, and, and, and leaving because, like I said earlier, it, it's left a, a lasting legacy. Whereas, oh, yes. thirty years on, you know a Chili Pepper song yeah. because of the sound. The best that album. description I've ever heard of Rick Rubin and the Chili Peppers was Anthony Kiedis. I got to get right. this right. He said, "If Baron von Munchausen ejaculated the Red Hot Chili Peppers onto a chessboard, yes. Rick Rubin is the perfect chess player." <laughs> That was a great fucking <laughs> idea. I always love that one. Ruben, yeah, that was fucking brilliant. And uh, I mean, we should say then he, he did work with him again and on another fucking stomper album. So yeah. he came back for Californication. Well, he did One Hot Minute as well. Oh, he did One Hot Minute in between as well, minute. right? So he, d- he was back for two. Mm-hmm. But Californication obviously then took it. I mean, Blood Sugar Sex Magic took Chili Peppers to probably the top of the rock charts. Oh, yeah. But Californication took it to... Fuck pop, pop rock everything rock, everything slain you know, castle slain uh my ma was listening to them do you know I what i mean that like, was it, weird it's man. a weird like, there's something about californication in ireland there's mm-hmm. a very very weird statistic and it's something like i'll try and find this out but it's something along the lines of upon release and after it was released one in three households in ireland had the album what something mental really really massive it was one of those albums that everybody had Kind of like, uh, what do you call him? David Gray. Okay, yeah, but yeah. Everybody had Californication. Fuck. But I, I, maybe it's one in five, but it was something really, really low where it was like one in certain number of households have Californication in their house. That's I mental. Like, that mad, like to see. But then. And that's like, the space of what? How many years is that? You know, it's. Young Elsie. Oh, these are great guys. This is a great band. Let's go back. <laughs> Don't go back. Don't go back. Here, suck my kiss. <laughs> but then, like, Sir Sanko's actually Stop my lady cop. And you're going, oh, fuck. Have you got that bit yet? <laughs> Sitting in the Garden of Eden with my heart on bleeding. Oh, man. Oh, lovely. But no, it, it, it didn't soften. I think they got older. And Cal- California Hastings is a great album. But after one hot minute, I sort of dropped out of the Chili Peppers thing. 
And I, I, like go- mean, yeah. I like going back. Yeah. Because John Frusciante himself said um, he would never be in the Chili Peppers if they became like an arena band because he loved them so much when they played in clubs mm. and uh, bigger venues, but not too big because he was very insular and a very uh, insulated sort of um, emotive sort of guy. But when he got to their gigs, he said it was so freeing yeah. and it was so chaotic he would be in the mosh pit like doing swirling dancing and he was actually coming out of himself he loved it that much before he became a member of the band mm-hmm. so he couldn't consider it mm-hmm. on an arena scale where you can't see a person's eyes in the front row it's that fucking big like. yeah. Oh, yeah. so I sort of I get where he's coming from mm-hmm. but the first time I saw him was in an arena yeah well, that's, that's it and I and mean I was the same I seen him as Lane, um, a couple of times I seen him supporting U2 that year mm-hmm. and then the following year they came back and headlined themselves yeah um, Which is a good gig. Oh, amazing gig! It was a very, very good, really, gig. Really good gig. Um, and they they are amazing live, and that's mm-hmm. like the one of the from day one that was their thing. Yeah, and get the, this right, and you'll always be going. And but just for the four of them, the replication of the sound from the album onto stage is unbelievable. You know, they they they, you know, you hear bands sometimes you're like, oh, well, mm, don't know, they can't, they're not as good as overdubbing that they're doing in the studio. You're not hearing it there, but they have it. They they have it so professional and, and so skilled at what they're doing the sound is just exactly the same on yeah. the stage which is fucking brilliant no, good. and considering what Flea's doing for instance on the bass and things like that and for Shanti I mean it's uh, uh, there's a lot going on mm-hmm. but nothing gets missed which is a rarity these days mm-hmm. uh, I went to a gig on Thursday night past um, Fontaine's DC I've uh, uh, I'll we'll put a pin here because I only know about that band because I heard one song on a highlight reel for Glastonbury right and they were like this is Ireland's greatest new export and all this. And I went, fuck, I've never even heard them. And the song was good. Yeah. Uh, that Boys in the Better Land one. Boys in the Better Land, oh, that's yeah. That's a fucking that's, decent Yeah, that's, that's the sort of the, the, the one you flick on. Now, but I haven't heard anything else. Uh, no, very, very good. But um, trying to replicate the sound on their album on <gasps> to oh. the stage was the difficulty. Now, side note, the Oster Hall's PA system was fucking awful. Really? Side, side note, it, Turned out then, when I went out for a smoke, um, I had to go out for a smoke because my ears were ringing that bad. Oh, fuck. From the feedback and the stuff that was coming through. Then I got speaking to a guy. I, said, I met the Bonnevilles. The two boys in the Bonnevilles were there. All right. I got speaking to them. He, one of the Bonnevilles, were speaking to a sound engineer who'd explained the crack to me. So apparently, Ulster Hall, when you hire the Ulster Hall, you just, you have to kit it out yourself. I've heard that. You just hire the Ulster Hall. You're just hiring the hall. So you have to bring the whole PA system, bring everything with you. And basically what happens is a band is given, like, by the promoter, here's a list of the PA systems we've used for other bands. So, for instance, when Led Zeppelin played in Ulster Hall, they used this or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then going down to, like, more recent. And so, like, a band sees, oh, well, the Killers use that PA system, so we'll use that. But nobody tells them that the Killers are a shit gig. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no level of telling them that. So they went for this PA system that just couldn't handle it. And what happens with Fontaine's DC, the, the two guitar, there's two guitar players, so... They use a lot of the, like the guy, one of the guys would have a note or a feedback playing the whole way. Okay. Like he would let the guitar hang for a certain part of the song. <coughs> so then you had the sound engineer didn't know if that was fucking feedback or oh, if so that he was, was coming. So he was trying to adjust and thing and it was like fucking ears. And it was terrible because they're such a great band. But, and that's what sort of, I actually genuinely thought of the Chilis uh, when I was at the gig going, like, 
for Shanti does the same type of madness in the guitar, mm-hmm. but you can hear every fucking thing. Like, oh boys. I was a slaying 80,000 people and I could hear every fucking note that Flea was playing, but yet here I am with a thousand people in the hall. And I honestly, even when the singer was talking, you didn't, the audience didn't know what he was saying. It was just rubbish. Worst thing. And everybody coming outside was, that was fucking shit. It's difficult to do, man. So the fact that Chili Peppers could do that in an outdoor well, ultimately, Slain Castle's an amphitheatre. Um, to do that outdoor, I mean, just showed you the level of, uh, well, number one, the level <laughs> of good promoters they had around them mm-hmm. who paid for the PA, but the fact that they could replicate that across um, and and without sacrificing anything was a big thing. Yeah. Um, the the energy they come with. Now, there's loads of things happened to Chili Peppers over the years, like there's the, the, the White Sox and <laughs> coming out wearing the Humble White Sox yeah, and all that sort of that's crack. what Chad Smith said when he joined the band. The first thing he had to do was go to a photo shoot with just him and his wang out with a sock over it. <laughs> and it's their most famous picture. It's, uh, and uh, I mean, they did go on stage then. Yeah, yeah. Um, with uh, wearing a football sock. I well, they've been doing it since the early eighties. Yeah, and it was their thing. People were like, "All right, I want to go see this." But then they heard of, like a funky punky band doing like sort of yeah. more rock, and people got into them. But yeah, it was sort of the enticement to get them in to see yeah. a lot of wangs jumping about. But then yeah. uh, when they heard the the bass, then that was it. Well, uh, it, and it, the it, funkiness and the funkiness plus the guitar player and the bass player and the drummer can cover it up. Yeah, Kiedis was uh, Kiedis didn't get out there his own like oh flapping on the wind, but didn't give a shade. And from what I've heard, it flaps. He had to put a bit of. Elastic band runner. Oh, Jesus. Keep sir. socks on. I don't know. She got cowed on the stages. Oh, Jesus. Why? That's your worst fear there. Retraction. Look at me and my big cock. And <laughs> the sock falls off. <laughs> oh, lad. Don't know. I'd need a wee baby sock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wee pop sock. Just a wee, wee pair of mittens. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of those mittens. <laughs> So yeah, but they were always out there, and that's <laughs> literally out there. <laughs> but they were always out there, and they're thinking they were always. Um, they, I'm trying to think back to the '90s. They were kind of the most alternative in the mainstream, if you know what I mean. They were like at that, at that, at that, that time, particular yeah. time, uh, just and then in the period. Well, bef- here, here's actually road turn. The number one song in the world at the time that this album was released was "Missing You" by John Waite. Remember that? I am oh. missing you, which is a mighty song. Missing you. And the number one Since album was Rope in the Wind by Gareth Brooks. Oh. And now. No one's an album now. How, now. how come we haven't done that yet? Wait a minute. <laughs> We're, the whole world's about to fucking change because in one week, like I said, Nevermind and uh-huh. Blood Sugar they come out and Gareth Brooks never seen the album charts again. No. It kind of went very, very... Well, grunge sort of took over. There. Everything and went alternative. Everything went guitar-based then, didn't it? Like, and everything not was... Not acoustic guitar. And they were good bands. Yeah. It, it wasn't like... hate to say it, but... Some, yeah. Some certain fads that happened in our this recent generation where you're going... How... Uh, why? Yeah. I seen an interview with that Billie Eilish doll where she was talking about how much she liked the Beatles. And then the guy takes out a toy of the Yellow Submarine and goes, well, you'll like that then. And she's like, what's that? Oh my god! Yeah, that's all. Then go, but she's only seventeen. You're like, yeah, I, I knew what the fucking Beatles were when I was seventeen, and I definitely wasn't talking to a radio, no, TV, going yeah. giving it the. Oh, I love the yeah, you wouldn't I go love around, the yeah. Yeah. It just reminds me of Partridge. Yeah, it's yeah. Part, she Partridge. <laughs> What's your favorite album? I'm the best of the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> so, at that time, it was right on the cusp of it going mental. Now, Metallica's the Black Album came out too, and mm-hmm. it was fucking massive. Yeah. 
and it's still massive and broke some record this week being the biggest selling album of right it's still mental huge but anyway blood sugar landed at a time where it took about two months for it to kick in mm-hmm. and give it away it came out but it was only sort of getting odd college radio play and then well it was it was probably the the release of the biggest I'm going to say their biggest hit of all time. It was but it's but probably the biggest hit of that album as well. Give it away was then shown on MTV and it started to kick in, and the they video, were getting big. The video was amazing. It was they were getting so, they were getting uh, big, silver and black mm-hmm. and white, and everybody was all yeah. It was quite an iconic but, video. But then, then, uh, uh, then the second thing came out. Then this came along. Yes, we know yeah. the the amazing under the bridge, but again, it's sort of leading back uh, because the actual topic of the song is quite. It's a beautiful song, but the topic's quite yeah dirty and 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 uh, quite. <laughs> I mean, he's under the bridge taking drugs. He's under the bridge taking drugs. It's and it's a. It's not the first time he broached his problem with mm-hmm. heroin, etc. But it's the most poignant because it's actually it's not a song they had written or had available at all uh, it wasn't something they had a plan to do mm-hmm. and it was rick rubin again who um found his book of poems right and spotted this one and was like what's that and he goes ah it's just about me and then he sort of opened up to rick rubin sort of broke down to him and was like well i have a major problem like and mm-hmm. started talking about his father and started talking about the influence he had in him and you know the experience he's had at a young age and all this started to blow up and he was like everything you're saying to me can you put it into right here now and he goes well even recently i drove over to that bridge and i sat under it for a while as mm-hmm. anthony Kiedis leads in a red hot chili peppers and thought about buying heroin again mm-hmm. he said well put that down so then he said to Frashante Kiedis, can you just write something around these notes i've got a i've got a structure of the pattern of the melody mm-hmm. but i don't have any music obviously and Frashante wrote that <laughs> which <laughs> like, like 20 I- at 20 years, I mean, is there, is, like, if you take the 90s right up to now, I mean, it's it's got to be in the top five most iconic guitar intros. Oh, yeah. Um, and maybe the most, I think it's our generation's Stairway to Heaven. It's like, it's, it, it, it's, every guitar player wanted to play <laughs> that intro and knows how to play that intro. And it, it was just, like, even just, you didn't have to give an intro there. You just knew from the first couple yeah. of notes. It was so fucking genius. And it just, did everything for that song then, mm-hmm. as you say. I didn't realize that was what it was. Like, he just came up with a sort of rhythm first. Yeah, he had a melody of how he was going to sing it. And then, Frashanti, and, and Keith has said this over and over again, John Frashanti never turned you down for anything. He never said, that's a mm-hmm. bad idea. He never came in with, let's change it. He always went, okay, let's go. Let's go. Totally positive. And that's in the studio. Now, what happens later is a bit of a redemption sort of story with John Frashanti. And the reason I keep speaking about John Frashanti is because, very simply... There's no Red Hot Chili Peppers we know now without Frusciante. No. There just isn't. No. It's, it's impossible. Flea is, is, is important and very, Flea very iconic huge, again, but, but not Paul to the music one, of it. Like, yeah. One of those four out, mm-hmm. and they could be replaced 
to an extent mm. because they weren't that big. Yeah. You could get another person who could play a funky bass. It wouldn't be Flea. It wouldn't be Flea. You could get another drummer like Chad Smith. It wouldn't be Chad Smith, but there'd be somebody similar. Yeah. Anthony Kiedis himself, you could get a, you know, high energy with it. Without Frusciante, and I'm talking about in this period. I'm not talking about the Chili Peppers we know now. It'd be yeah. impossible to replace any of them. But at that point, 1990, oh, yeah. if you took John Frusciante out, this album was a different album. Yeah, and it might not have been anywhere close it's to what we one, know. Yeah, he's probably the biggest star of this album. Is Frusciante's playing? I mean, it's and he it was didn't a revelation want to be. Yeah, and he didn't. Yeah, you could he, hear him at the start. He hates yeah, the he, thought. Of he hated celebrity. the word. He hated. The, he wanted to commit suicide. He, he hated. hated being famous. He hated. <laughs> All of this. Mm-hmm. So what happens a year into turn? They're on tour. They're, the minute they're under the bridge, mm-hmm. peaks, their arena, that's it. They're it's going it. oh, nowhere yeah. else. Yeah. No so Frashanti freaks the beans and is freaking the beans for a few months leading up to it because he's got high anxiety. Mm-hmm. The guy's getting depressed at the thought of playing songs he loves mm-hmm. and wrote mm-hmm. and leaves the band. There's a minute where they're actually playing... Uh, and on Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. and you can see the footage online, where John Frusciante starts playing the intro to Under the Bridge wrong, deliberately. So Keith has to try to figure out how to sing it in a different key. <laughs> and it, you can see the eyes. And Frusciante fires a guitar down and then walks off, and Keith marches straight after him. <laughs> and there's a row that happens on the set of Saturday Night Live. There's a whole Kimsey. They're in Tokyo. Frusciante doesn't want to go on and play, like half an hour, coaxing them to get on and play. He plays, has the worst show ever, and leaves the band. So and this is just after the release of this. this is, I mean, yeah. it's only a year, right? Mm-hmm. He can't handle it. He says the happiest time of his entire life was being in that studio, working on songs and developing ideas and being creative. And that's the type of human being he is. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to be the limelight. He never wanted to be the limelight. But because he's such a genius, and you've said it in the past, the sort of madness genius element is yeah. very close together. So poor John Frusciante not only gets depressed. But following on from just having weed with Flea in the studio, he starts a vicious heroin addiction. And that heroin addiction leads him to be isolated. He removes himself from society. Mm-hmm. Um, in a very strange story, he right. becomes, he befriends River Phoenix. Right. And on the night River Phoenix is dead, found dead outside the Viper Room, which if you've ever heard his young brother, River or Joaquin Phoenix's, uh, or telephone call to the police mm-hmm. is horrible mm. he dies in a horrible way mm-hmm. John Frusciante's there no. not only there John Frusciante brought him to the Viper oh, and to this day he's never spoke about it and nobody to this day knows where the fuck John Frusciante was when he died mm. so the implication is Frusciante and him were shooting up at the same time that he died mm-hmm. so that's how bad it was right okay they he was found Johnny Depp um, and Gibby Haynes from the Butthole Surfers, the band, went round to shoot a documentary about John Frusciante and his bed sit in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s, and they found him with no teeth, like fingernails all grown out, hair grown fucking out shaggy. The guy was a way to fuck. He had been painting on the walls of his house the mm-hmm. whole shebang. So they helped him to get back to Try to get back to the kid who was so creative, and I cannot understate this. If you watch the Funky Monks documentary, you're watching a person realize they're a genius. Hi, he didn't you know. You see it. Yeah. You see him just start to work on he, things. He, started, he only found it. You can see him f- 
realizing that by other people's reactions. Yeah. He was seeing Ruben reacting to him. He was like, oh, all right, okay. He's Maybe putting good. these guitar parts down and it's so fucking good. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, not even talking about the slower songs or the funkier songs. He is slapping the middle of it. Mm-hmm. He's not overpowered by Chad Smith and Flea at all. No. He's a central fucking piece of this whole thing. And, but there's a good thing about this and it's that uh, late 90s, the Chili Peppers found themselves in a position where Dave Navarro had left the band. So right after John Fashante, a guy called Eric Marshall covered from. Mm-hmm. He's in the Break in the Girl video. Right, okay, yeah. He's the guy that was covering from, but he had to go. So they brought in Dave Navarro. Dave Navarro lasted a few years, but uh, I don't know what happened there. I think there was drugs involved as well, to be honest with yeah, you. Okay. They phoned up. For sure. They found out that he was getting better. The guy was getting into yoga and healthy eating, and he was getting better. Mm-hmm. But he still did, he doesn't he didn't look what the same like mm-hmm. he didn't have that youthful sort of yeah. vigor. But they rang him on a tentative, you know, this is the best we've ever been. If we can get him back, yeah, we're we're something special is going to happen. And they rang him, and he said it was the happiest he's ever been. So he came back, mm-hmm. but he came back, and they wrote their actually most successful album ever. <laughs> With his help. Mm-hmm. And he didn't feel like he was um, diluting down his artistry in any way. Mm-hmm. He actually enjoyed it because he just loved the three people he was working with. Yeah. And he loved the studio and he loved <coughs> not having to tour. Now, what they did then was they put out a sort of addendum when they went on tour. Don't put any pressure on John. Don't ask him for interviews. Mm-hmm. When he wants to go to his dressing room, mm-hmm. let him go to his dressing room. Don't knock on the fucking door. Don't annoy him. Just let him be. He's slowly but surely... Finding his feet in a place where he fell apart. Yeah. He fell apart. Which it takes him to a whole new level when you see that yeah. episode of Californication after going through what... And writing better guitar stuff. Well, what they all went through, but then him as well going through. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's... I, I, I can't think of another band who had as many struggles. I know we talked about Guns N' Roses back in, in uh, Appetite for Destruction, a lot of drinking drugs involved there, but this... It's the only band I can think of that did as much as they did and then got through to the other side. Yeah. And actually, when they got through to the other side, got more successful. Got massive. Uh, yeah. Not, most other people either, you know, the, 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 the drinking drugs, yes, they they overcame them, but they never really got to the height that they were or whatever, you know. So these actually got, <coughs> Chili Peppers got better. Now, I don't know, I'm just, I, I wouldn't class any of the newer stuff as being anyway as good as no, well, I, Super I, Sex I, Magic. It's not going to be. Two of the songs I listened to recently and I thought they were quite good, actually, but, it's not for me to judge, but I, I just don't think it's near the par of... No. And that's just age comes with that too. We talked earlier on. It's just maturity. They've matured a wee bit. They just, you know, what they want to do. Yeah, that that was a youth album. Oh, yeah. You know, that was full of youthful fucking angst and if anger. You, and if you, have you seen the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction? Chris Rock inducts them. Yes. Uh-huh. And pretty much every member living is there, except for Fushanti. Right. But every member of the band goes out of their way to mention John Frusciante. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen in Rock and Roll Hall of no. Fame acceptance speeches when you don't turn up. No. Either you better be dead yeah. or really, really sick. Mm-hmm. And Frusciante's neither. No. He's a very healthy, happy person now. He's left the Chili Peppers since he got back, but he got back to them again for a good 12 years or something. Yeah, it was a long time. And there was some great music and he was happy mm-hmm. and he just loved the position he was in. He got to play with Flea again. He got to play with Chatsworth and Ashley yeah. and he was happy. And that's, Pretty much the perfect ending to that because 
he felt that when they went, we'll do another tour in our album, he went, you know what? I think I'm at the point where I'm happy. Right, just leave it at that, sir. He left, and he does a lot of solo stuff, and he does a lot of great, but if you play this song, you'll know exactly what I mean about John fucking Vajanda. Well, I'm sailing. Yeah. yeah. That's fucking brilliant, man. Oh. That's so good. Like, it's just unreal. So this Suck My Kiss. Uh, probably my favorite song on the album. It's a brilliant song. And, uh... It didn't do big single ways. It was a single, but it no. wasn't one of the it big doesn't matter. Yeah. It was it was the first uh behind the scenes sort of video I saw as well. It's That's the, right. It's clips from Funky Monk. Look at John Shanty there, man. Fuck me. And there's our microphone. So yes. That's our mic. That's our mic. Um so yeah, yeah suck my kiss. I mean you can hear from the intro there. I mean it's just the energy, the raw power out of them was just unbelievable and the sort of I know we always talk about a rhythm section as the bass and drums, but the this the the harmony that went between the guitar and bass was just You're absolutely right. It was unbelievable. It was absolutely it was the first right. time I'd really seen that happening. You always see the drum and bass together, you know what I mean? But you never see mm-hmm. um um them being as complementary to each other. Yep. And every to, single to thing this they played. Day, when you see any video of Chili Peppers playing live and they do a solo part, that's not arranged. Especially with when Frashanti was there. They jam it. Mm-hmm. So drums, bass, and guitar, and Anthony Kiedis just backs away, ah, and he lets them go fucking wild, mm-hmm. and they do, they pretty much feed off each other, and they're all facing each other, and it's it's so good, and it was the first band I ever watched play live, where I could go, I'd love to fucking play, and I'd love mm-hmm. to step in and play this, just it, once, just <laughs> I'd get eaten alive, but it'd be a brilliant Way to die, like. fucking see you just with a big it football so sock good. on you with a big GA oh, sock hanging down just jata. with a gut out <laughs> it all stuck together and all. Right. anyway <laughs> so <laughs> oh also you know I could have lied I could have lied I was such a on this it's about Why? Sinead O'Connor what is I could have lied the song oh sorry I thought you were saying I could have lied that I lied I, I could have lied with it <laughs> oh yes the song right and Anthony Keaton and her were together for a brief time, okay. which she denies. But everyone in Chili Peppers like, no, she was here at the studio. <laughs> like they Probably were together, and then she let, she got real popular, and she just bailed. Ah, uh, she probably didn't remember. Put it right there. Uh, look at her now. Look at her now, doing yeah. Anyway, so uh, yes, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Please go and take a listen. Seventeen tracks. That's why we didn't do track by track tracks, today man. because no, no way. But uh, an album full of uh, sonic sexualness. Absolutely, oh. and see if you're starting to play an instrument in any way, any of the instruments in this album, listen to this album and just, you'll find yourself being a wee bit more inspired. Well, I would go the opposite and say, don't listen to this album. No, do you? You'd, you'd go, oh, fuck that, I can't no, beat that No, you're giving it a go. <laughs> That's the reason why I don't watch comedians. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not watching that, can't it just, dep- <coughs> it just depress me. Um, but Imagine yeah, that is your logic. Yeah. I don't want to ever be shown anything better than me, so I'm just going to not. Well, it's not even just better than me. Everything's better than me, but it's just... I understand when, when your, something's your so, point. When something's so good, I know, you I don't know. want to see something that's I that get, good because I you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. Your point with comedy, though, because... I'll never reach that. It's not like, uh, you know, especially with me training drums, I can nick a drum fill and nobody will be like, I didn't know you nicked that. <laughs> Whereas if you oh, nick a yeah. part that just you just one, inadvertently, one you're fucked line, forever. One line and you're done. Yeah. Uh, Which yes. I do respect with stand-up comedians, by the way. I don't respect a lot of it. You 
fucking degenerate. But God forgive you. It's an awful thing to say. Yeah, it's it's. I, I do sort of enjoy. I like that aspect of it. It's very moral and an immoral fucking in an immoral world. world. Uh, yes, we uh, yes we have we have our morals. <laughs> just about. <laughs> uh, so yes, blood sugar sex magic, nineteen ninety one, um, an absolute um, banger, banger, and definitely one of our best, of the best. And I think um, there's can be no arguing of that. Uh, if you get a chance, go and listen to it, and go and uh, boost up um, the Chili Peppers um, commission by about not point not not three p, and yeah. uh, like and subscribe. And no sign of Langer this week. Now, in all fairness, uh, I, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I've been looking up that username <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter and Facebook, and I think I found who it is. Oh, you need to. You need to. It's a guy from England. You need. Oh, Jesus, Langford. Oh, there could be rays, boy. But you have too much time in your hands. And not only that, but I'm a fucking sneaky bastard. <laughs> sneaky hero. <laughs> right, well, listen, we are coming to the end of the podcast and also the end of the year, so we will be back next week uh, with another, uh, I think we're going into film category. We have, yeah. So uh, we'll be back next week, and then the week after that will be our final one, and we might, I don't know, we'll talk about it and see if we can we'll do figure it out. something. I don't know. We've we'll got do an idea, but fuck it. We we'll see. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. And as always, we would like you to tell other people and uh, spread the good word. But if you don't do anything else this week, go and listen to Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Yep. You can thank us later. Yep. So from me, Connor Keys, thank you very much for listening. And this has been Ronan Mullen. Biggity boo.